You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome back to another episode of A Bigger Life. Today we're going to look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is one of these psalms that people come back to a lot. I know I come back to it a lot because it just seems so contemporary. It's about 3,000 years old, and yet it seems like it's written in many ways true to any time and certainly our time because it's one of these psalms that when we start getting swept up in the culture's narrative, it makes the Christian life burdensome, weary wearisome. And so the psalm starts off when it says that truly God is good to Israel. Now remember, we've talked about in this podcast, whenever the Old Testament is talking about Israel or Jacob or Abraham, when it's talking about the descendants of Jacob, which is Israel, the descendants of Abraham, the New Testament makes it very clear in books like Galatians and Romans, other places, that that's ultimately talking about all the people of God that would be in Christ, Christ being the the true offspring of Abraham and in Christ, through whom all nations on earth would be blessed. And so this is one of these psalms, when in, in all these psalms, when it talks about Israel or Jacob, uh, this is talking about you and me as those who are in Christ, those who are in the true and ultimate seed of Abraham. So truly God is good. To those who are in Christ is a way we could translate this psalm with the rest of the story in mind, rest of scripture in mind, which is how we should always read the Old Testament. The Bible in its entirety is always the context of any verse in any any place in the Bible. It starts off just stating what is true. Truly, God is good. But, verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now remember when the Bible is talking about the arrogant and the wicked, it's not necessarily talking about people who are very, very different than us. They're They're more wicked, they're more arrogant, although that often is the case in many practical ways. It's really ultimately talking about what it says in verse 11. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? So the arrogant and the wicked are those who disregard God in how they see their life narrative. Uh, they may believe in God, but God is they're not thinking vertically. God is not factoring into how they see life. And so the psalmist here, the, the psalm of Asaph, is describing how he sees, he's looking at them, he says, admittedly, enviously. He's looking at them as if they have a better life. They have a better narrative. It says in verse 4, I'm reading out of the ESV. I think on verse 4 and 5, the NIV is a little better. The NIV says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Verse 5, they are free from common human burdens. So their bodies seem like they're better than ours. They're healthier than us. They don't have the common human burdens that I have. And they have no struggles, it seems like, in life. Now, obviously, that's not true for anybody. I mean, they may have great bodies, but that's not going to be forever. And who knows what's going on inside chronic pain, cancer. I mean, everybody's appearances aren't always the reality. But the thing is, is that the psalmist is looking from the outside in and saying, I wish I was there. I wish I had their life. 
And I think it's so contemporary because I think more than ever, perhaps, we have these narratives that are different than the Christian narrative, and we become envious of them, whether we're watching in a movie, watching in a TV show. And the main characters, because you can write anything in a script and characters can act out any kind of narrative and then the director says cut and they go back to their miserable lives. But in the narrative you're watching, it looks like they don't have struggles. It looks like their bodies are slick and thin and healthy. And it looks like they don't have the common human burdens. And it it, it becomes something that we wish we could live inside that narrative. The, the narrative of disregarding God becomes more attractive to us, and the narrative of trying to be obedient to God, trying to live a life of faithfulness, becomes burdensome. Uh, when we get swept up in the culture's narrative, whether it's through movies or TV or whether it's through songs or whether it's through social media, uh, people always present a very edited form of their lives on social media always doing the fun thing, always having the great meal, always going to the great place, and we don't see the fight they had that night or the other problems we know they have. We just don't, we see a very edited version, and we start getting swept up in the culture's narrative, and so it makes God boring. It makes uh, the Christian life joyless, burdensome, and the cultural narrative, it seems much more real and compelling. And it makes obedience hard. It makes faithfulness burdensome. And so it's one of these things where he goes on to say in verse 12, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in riches. I like the NIV. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Now, that's not always true, right? I mean, people, there's nobody whose life is always free of care, but it looks that way. And it certainly looks that way when we look at it from TV point of view or a movie point of view or social media point of view. Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Surely, it says in the NIV, surely in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I've been sacrificing to be obedient. I've been sacrificing uh, so I would not enter into the narrative of those who disregard God, those who disregard the Most High. And it's cost me. It's cost me certain relationships. It's cost me certain moments of pleasure or happiness, it seems like. And it seems like when I compare my narrative to theirs, I've been on the side of burdensome, and and it's been in vain. It's been pointless. I shouldn't have done it. That's what the psalmist is saying. And I love how real to life this is. I mean, this is a psalmist who is in charge of worship among God's people. We've talked about Asaph before. And yet he's admitting, you know what? I really, really started to doubt whether or not it was worth it to live the obedient life of faithfulness to God. And he says in verse 16, it seemed to me a wearisome task to be obedient to God. But at verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, the the presence of God, the worship of God, worshiping God for his glory, coming before the creator, 
using my imagination as I come before the presence of God and come before my creator, the creator of this universe, and my creator, and God in his glory, the God whose power is measured by the vastness of this universe, measured by the creation of everything around, the giver of all life, the one from whom all existence flows, When I come into the presence of my Creator, when I come into the presence of God in my imagination, in my mind, by the Holy Spirit, when I come into the sanctuary of God, he says, then I discerned their end. In other words, that's when I saw that their narrative, however it looks to me now, is for sure a dead end. Everybody dies. Everybody faces the end when they lose everything slowly. But they lose everything in the end. And the NIV says, then I understood their final destiny. Now, we're not saying here that those who disregard God have great lives and then they die. And those who are obedient to God have miserable lives and then they die. I mean, what's the difference ultimately? That's not what the psalmist is saying. He's saying that disobedience to God looks attractive until you see it for what it really is. It's disobeying the God of glory. It's disobeying the God who is the creator, who has a reason, who has a purpose, who has a narrative for our lives. It's not a dead end. Their life will be a dead end. Whatever joy they have now will be fleeting. But it says in verse six or 18, they will fall to ruin. Verse 19, they will be swept away utterly by terrors in the end. Verse 20, like a dream when one awakes. In other words, the whole life they live now is like, I remember a dream I had when I was a kid. I had a dream that I was, I got a new motorcycle, you know, a kid with a little bit of little mini bike motorcycle that was awesome. And I was riding it everywhere and it was so fun. And then I remember waking up and being so disappointed that it was a dream. The psalmist says, whatever is great in the narrative that disregards God is like a dream when one awakes. It seems great, but you've been living a life of illusion. You live inside God's reality And now you're waking up and you have nothing. Swept away utterly by terrors, fall to ruin till I perceive their end. He says in verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pierced in heart. In other words, I was just losing it and I was embittered toward my obedience. I was jealous of their prosperity. My heart was in a bad place, a place of self-pity, a place of cynicism. He says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you, the psalmist says, praying to God, only thinking of the now, living by instinct, living by reaction to things, not by thought. Verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. He's saying, although my feet almost slipped, my foot almost stumbled, nevertheless, nevertheless, I am in the real narrative continually with the I am who is continually in the present tense in my present tense. He is always 100% with me and he is holding my right hand always. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. So here's what the psalmist is saying. Look, I may perceive correctly or I may be misperceiving their narrative, but one thing I know is that it ends in an entirely different place. And I know, I know this narrative of faithfulness is going to be a place of glory because I am following the God of glory, 
the creator of this universe, who has taken me by his hand, who is continually with me, and he is summoning me by name into a better story, a better narrative. So he says in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, and he's telling us how they did. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is my inheritance forever. God is the one who satisfies me forever. He's going to call me into glory. He's going to bring me into his beauty and his glory and his splendor. And this is the narrative that my life is in. I know it. Because God has, we can say more even so than this psalmist, God has already come for me in the death and resurrection of Christ. I know it because Jesus has already risen from the dead. I know it because he has taken hold of my hand. He is continually with me and he is guiding me with his counsel. Even now, even now, his Holy Spirit is using his word to do something in my heart that makes me wake up and makes me see him perceiving his glory coming into the sanctuary of God, coming into the very presence of God of this universe and seeing the better narrative, seeing God in worship. He is my portion forever. Verse 27, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but as for me, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Remember the prayer of David in Psalm 1611. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's, that's what this psalmist is saying. That, that the real narrative, the narrative that I want to be on is one with eternal joy and pleasure when Christ comes back and restores this creation from its dust and thorns and thistles and death and recreates it in beauty and life and flourishing. Joy, beauty, glory, love. This is the narrative I want to be in. This is the promise I'm taking hold of. This is the promise of God that has taken hold of me. And I know I have no choice. There is no place that has an ending other than God of heaven coming back to earth. There is no other story that doesn't end in perishing. There is no other story that doesn't end to being put to an end. The only story that lasts is the story of the God of heaven. And that's the story I want to be in. As for me, it is good to be near God, to walk with God, to walk with God taking hold of my hand, to walk with God who is continually with me. I have made the Lord God my refuge. All right, let's take a moment and, and pray through some of these verses. We're not going to pray through all of it. And that's what I do a lot of times. I'll read a psalm and I'll be praying through it as I read it. And then I hone in on a few verses and I repeat those verses in my prayer and make those sort of my meditation, make those my verses that I want to be the emphasis of this time. And that's what we're going to do here. Let's do that now. Truly, truly in reality, oh Lord, in reality, you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. I know it because Jesus taught it. I know it because Jesus rose from the dead. It means everything he said is true. 
I know it because you have already taken hold of my hand by giving me faith in you. Here I am reading through a psalm. I'm only doing that because your Holy Spirit has done something in my heart. You have taken hold of me. You have a narrative for me of glory and beauty and goodness and love forever. Truly, you are good. But, but, as for me, I'm fickle. As for me, sometimes it becomes burdensome because I get tripped up. I stumble into a into seeing life differently than it really is. I stumble into an illusion that looks like those who disregard you are happy. Those who disregard you don't have common problems. Those who disregard you seem to be getting healthier and life is more joyful and they amass more wealth and it seems like everything's going well for them and I envy them. I envy them in ways that make me doubt whether or not faithfulness to you is worth it. And I ask for your forgiveness. I confess that I get tripped up into a wrong narrative because in my own heart I'm disregarding you. I'm disregarding your goodness. I'm disregarding your steadfast love for me. I'm disregarding all you've done for me in Jesus. I'm disregarding the past that I know is true. And I'm putting myself in a almost animalistic presence where I'm like a beast before you, where I'm just thinking of the now. I'm just thinking of what's right in front of me. I'm thinking instinctually instead of thinking with my brain and reasoning through the long-term implications of the story that I see my life in. And I ask your forgiveness that I've let some stupid narrative make you boring. How could I be so fooled and fall into a trap of the God that created this entire universe? Boring? What? And something I see in the electronic pixels on my screen better? More exciting? It's not even real. It's just technology with lights. And they said cut, and they went home to their miserable lives, their addictions, their fights, their divorces, their suicides, and I've been fooled. Forgive me, Lord, because you are not boring. You are not joyless. Jesus said, I came that your joy may be made full. He has a plan. He knows. I know you know. I know you know the life you have for me, and it is not joyless. You have this life in your kingdom forever in a renewed body on a renewed earth and it is a life of joy and beauty and glory and it is not boring. Forgive me, Lord, that I have made you burdensome and I have made my soul weary by letting myself get fooled by a lie. And I have said, in vain have I kept my heart clean and my life pure. But it is not in vain. It is in glory. It is in love. It is in goodness and truth and joy that I am obedient to you, faithful to you, because I believe you. I trust you. I trust that your word is true. You are my creator, and your promise is the only truth. Everything else is like a dream when one awakes. Every other story is a dead end. Every other story ends in perishing, ends in being overwhelmed by terror, and then it's over, and then life comes to an end. 
but but I am continually with you. You are continually with me, always 100% fully with me because you are the I am and you have taken hold of my hand. You've taken hold of my right hand. I am right next to your side. You have taken hold of me. You have gripped me and you will not let me go. I am continually with you, my creator, the creator of this universe, the creator who has a will for me that is joy, a will for my life that is glory, an end for me that is going to be a new beginning forever, renewal, restoration, new creation, flourishing, and you guide me by your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you guide my heart back into truth and wake me up from the wrong narrative because I know I have no one besides you. There is no other place to go. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. I mean, I do desire other things, but I get fooled into thinking those other things are what will make me happy. But I know, I know in my heart of hearts that without you, there is nothing. Without you, there is no joy. Without you, there is no happiness. Without your love, there is no love. There's no other place to go. I say with Peter when Jesus asked, do you want to go too? I say, where else would I go? Because you alone have the words of eternal life, eternal life. Capital L, joy, capital J. My flesh and my heart fail. They do. Forgive me, but God is the strength. You are the strength of my heart, and you are my inheritance forever. You are my portion forever. You are my joy forever. You are my love forever. You are my satisfaction forever. You are my living water forever. You are the bread of life forever. I believe you. I trust you. I know you're not lying. I know Jesus wasn't lying. I want to be in the Jesus story. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be in that narrative. I want to be on that path. I don't want to slip. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to fall. I want to be on the Jesus path of joy and life and resurrection my living water forever, my bread of life forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. I don't want to be far from you. I want to be be near you. I don't want to perish. I want to live. I want to be renewed. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but I want to be faithful to you. You are continually with me. You guide me by your counsel of your Holy Spirit. You take hold of my right hand. As for me, it is good to be near God. I want to be near you. I want to walk with you. I have made the Lord, the I am, the sovereign God, my refuge, my creator, my refuge. You are my refuge and I take refuge in you. I hide in you. I know that only in you is life. I know that only in your promise is true goodness and steadfast love and faithfulness and everything else is an illusion. Everything else is a dead end. Everything else is a terror of perishing in the end. It is a dead end narrative, but you are life. You are goodness. You are love. 
and you are glory and beauty forever. And so I come to you and take refuge in you and take hold of your hand and to be near you and to walk with you. I want to follow Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus forever. Strengthen my heart. Strengthen my mind so that I would see clearly because you are not boring. You are immeasurably glorious and beautiful. The giver of life, the God that created this universe, who for some reason loves me and takes an interest in me and takes hold of my hand and died for me and looks at me 100% as if I was the only person in the universe because you are infinite. And you call me into your story, and I want your story. I want to follow you and take hold of you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.